All right, John chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. But there's a major transition that's happening is we saw through the first 12 chapters, or really 11, is Jesus was really focused on sharing the good news to people around him, not necessarily in his inner circle. Now what we're seeing is Jesus is sharing the gospel, sharing the good news, training specifically the people within his inner circle. So it now was a public ministry heading to a private ministry. He will begin to focus on those he spent time with the most. Um, yeah, he's going to focus on them very intently. So what's crazy about the next several chapters of the book of John is um, it's only over 12 hours. 12 hours over the next, I guess, eight chapters of John. So it's going to be crazy. So if you have your Bibles, if you have your Bible app, John chapter 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So Jesus to this point has experienced supernatural protection by God. There were several times throughout the book of John that people wanted to kill him, but somehow they couldn't lay their hands on him. And what he's revealing to us here is his hour has come. This is the time that God is going to allow him to die on the cross for our sins. This is the time that God had intended for it to happen. So it's a different story right now. He was protected for some time. Now that protection is gone. But what's interesting to me about this is even with death staring him down, he still loved his own to the bitter end. To the very end, he loved his own. He didn't focus on himself. He gave, him, uh, he gave those around him everything that he had. So let's go to verse 2. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Now, this is interesting to me. So we realize um, many of you guys are familiar with Judas betrays Jesus for just a little bit of money and um, ends up telling, telling the soldiers where he is, right? He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. But right here, what we see is um, the son, Simon, uh, yeah, that the devil had already prompted Judas. So there's all, already this compelling, this, you, you're going to betray Jesus. It's already there. So for me, we always have to ask the question, how could a man who was following Jesus this close betray him? Judas, one of the 12, right? I mean, if you look at Judas's life, you would imagine that he was really living it. Wouldn't you? 
from the outside in, you know, we, we get to look hindsight and see who Judas really was. But if one of the 12 closest people walking with Jesus, you would say, oh, he's certainly saved. He certainly has it together. He was in the inner circle. He was a disciple. He was the treasurer of the 12 disciples. So he participated. He was in the inner circle. He, he even offered up a gifting. It would appear as if Judas was really living it, and he had everything together, wouldn't it? I guess my first point would be this, is worry about yourself. Write that down. Take that note and say, worry about yourself. There's a video of this little girl. It's a uh, vine or a, yeah, it was probably a vine back then. And man, she was so disrespectful, but her mom came in and she was trying to tell her to do something. I mean, this girl's like two years old. And she says, you worry about yourself. And it was a funny video, but if I was that mom, I'd be like, girl, you better be worried. You better be worrying about the back of my hand. So write that note down, worry about yourself. Far too often, we get too far into the comparison trap. Well, they must be wonderful because, well, I go to church, and I've been in leadership, so everything's okay. Or, look at them. Isn't their life just perfect? See, wouldn't we have said that about Judas just a little bit? He gets to hang out with Jesus all the time. He's in, in the twelve. They've even empowered him to a position. So you can start comparing and thinking that people are something special when in reality there's something more greater going on within them. It's not our job to compare or worry about such things. Judas looked the part, but he had a major problem with Jesus. You know, there could be people in here today who look the part, but internally have a deep rebellion within their heart. Now, I'm not asking you to find them and seek them out and say, who are they? See, but what we as humans like to do is we like to fake things, right? We like to act like everything is okay and put on this facade. We like to say the religious talk or the right talk, when in reality, the best thing for us to do is to be honest with where we are. Judas has some problems with Jesus that he's never really admitted. So worry about yourself. See, in my opinion, when Judas is prompted by the devil, Judas doesn't make that decision in one moment. Judas made his decision over a lifetime of small decisions. This was the fruit of one who was offended, who had doubts or even fears about who Jesus was. Again, his decision wasn't made in a moment. His decision was made over a long period of time of small decisions that revealed his character. So, you should remember in the book of James, we discussed James chapter 1, verse 14. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. 
So how could Judas, how could Judas turn in Jesus, who he's been walking closely with for three years? How? Why? Right here. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. There was something in Judas that he never dealt with that he was dragged away from Jesus that would get him to that point. Right? Then, after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. So Judas, leading up to this decision of, or being prompted by the devil, and then saying yes to that prompting, being tempted and saying yes, was decisions and thoughts that he had for years that he never dealt with. This is something that had to be festering with Judas for some time. Judas was likely experiencing a slow fade. We've all probably experienced some of those, haven't we? Slow fades. Many of us could be experiencing a slow fade right now. Because here's the thing about Christianity, and, or even just science, or physics. I don't know, I'm not smart enough, just whatever. <laughs> Whenever you're coasting, right, you're going downhill. So a slow fade often means when we coast in life, when we start to make these small decisions to say, I'm not going to watch my tongue today. I'm not going to watch my eyes today. I don't need to read my Bible this week. I haven't prayed in a month. See, we start to make these decisions where, where we just relax and we start to coast in life. But when we coast, we're going downhill. See, what we want to do is we want to make decisions that help us go towards Christ. Some, some, sometimes those decisions are hard, but we have to grind them out one step up the mountain at a time or the stairway to heaven. So what I believe was happening with Judas is, is Judas was in this slow fade because of offense and because of problems and because of frustration and doubts and fears, and he never dealt with them. He, he never told anyone in the church. He was never open about them and confessed them and said, Jesus, I, I really don't even think you are who, who you are. It was just something that he kept that offense inside. So, his own evil desire dragged him away. And after it pulled him away from Jesus, it conceived. And then it gave birth to sin. And sin, full grown, leads to death. We see that in Judas's life. Judas's small decisions of rebellion and thoughts towards Jesus led to this. And you're like, well, what are the small decisions? Well, we learned about some of them, and you see it in John chapter 12 over the past two weeks. Some small decisions that Judas had made, his character revealed. John chapter 12, verse 4. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why was it this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? See, Let's stop right there. Doesn't that sound really right? Hey, why don't you sell your car and give it to the poor? Because that sounds right. That sounds right. Give all your money to the poor. 
So Judas is saying, um, yeah, that sounds right. Judas is saying a right thing, but you know, someone can say the right thing and still be wrong. And right here, Judas is saying the right thing and it's wrong. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's worth a year worth of wages. Here's where we see character. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used, uh, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So you see that? See, there were decisions that Judas would make. If this, surely this isn't the only decision he made, but there were decisions that Judas made that appeared to be right, but had an evil motive behind it. So Judas was experiencing this slow fade or this rebellion against Christ that he never dealt with. Judas had been making small decisions each day that led to his complete rejection of Christ. And I want to say this, I don't think there's small decisions in life. The things that we think are small are actually big, and the things that we think are big are actually small. I don't care if you buy a house, but I do care what you think about. We have it, we have it flipped. Your small decisions on a daily basis will be uh, will one day produce some fruit. And you're like, come on now, small decisions really do that? Your small decision today will lead to life or death in the future. Oh, it was just a small fib. It was just a small one. Don't tell me that that small fib is going to lead. No, because look, someone who fibs every day will one day possibly deny Jesus will one day lie to their spouse and get caught, will one day find themselves in trouble. Small decisions each day lead to life or death. It was just a small fib. Oh, I just left a couple hours early. It was only 15 minutes on my time card. <laughs> I can delete it from my phone history. What's nine miles over the speed limit? Or 45? My thoughts are not affecting anyone. Bet. Bet that your thoughts don't affect anyone. Because your thoughts that are hidden today are making the future good or bad decision tomorrow. Your hidden thoughts today are making the choices for your future. Because each day that character will be revealed in the future. Judas's thoughts are now revealed in his future. This is the future. His small decisions that he had and that he made each day led to this point. What was this point? To betray Jesus. You're like, my... Do my thoughts really matter that much? Well, Isaiah 26 tells us this. You keep in perfect peace with those who, whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. When your mind is stuck on something, it is anchored in it, right? 
boy, we saw this video like a year ago where this little girl woke up and she was crying. And all she said is, I can't stop thinking about waffles. <laughs> Anyone ever seen it? It was cute. I watched it like a hundred times. So then Macy wakes up the next day. Joey, I can't stop thinking about waffles. <laughs> and then the next day, I can't stop thinking about waffles. So what do you think she got? Oh, you better believe that. She got waffles. <laughs> but where your mind, right, where your thoughts are anchored, that's where you are. That little girl's thoughts were an anchored in waffles, which it could be way worse. Right? Way worse. I had to check my watch because the last time I didn't check my watch, I had this evil bug on my shoulder. And none of y'all wanted to tell me about it. Even Chase wouldn't tell me about it. You're supposed to look out for me, bro. Either way, what your mind is stuck on, that, it's anchored in it. When your thoughts are unchanging, they remain. So to have perfect peace, you need to have your mind locked on Jesus. Amen? The decisions that you make. See, Judas didn't seem to have perfect peace or, or a steadfast mind. His small decisions appeared to allow him to have a full-fledged bitterness and hatred towards Jesus. So I ask you, what's your mind on today? What's your mind been on the past week? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, is your mind on sex today? Is your mind on money today? Is your mind on revenge today? Bitterness, pride, selfishness, partying? Ohio State, mowing your grass, serving your kingdom. What's your mind on today? Because what your mind on is today will lead to something tomorrow. And Judas was never, it appears, that Judas, his mind, was never in the right place with Christ. Where are your small decisions and enticements leading you? It reminds me of a meme that I saw some time ago. So I want to pull up this first one. Let's pull up this meme. Pronunciations matter. Judas Iscariot or Judas is a carrot. <laughs> Come on, somebody. That's funny. <laughs> Judas is a carrot. It's Judas Iscariot. That's actually not the meme I wanted to pull up. Let's pull up the next one. That's the wrong one. It's this one. Can you guys see it? Okay. Judas had the best pastor, the best leader, the best teacher. Anyone ever seen this? Y'all, you guys aren't on Facebook. The best teacher, the wisest everything, the best friend, and he failed. The problem isn't the leadership or the church you go to. If your attitude doesn't change or your character transformed, you will always be the same. The problem isn't your boss. 
The problem isn't your teacher. The problem isn't your church leadership. Oh, you're like, oh, he had to bring that one up. Now, now you're saying, now he's just putting that meme up there to self-serve him, aren't you? This self-serving pastor just put this up here for that. Well, I didn't. The problem is your attitude. The problem is my attitude. And Macy and I have been talking a whole lot lately that there's two things that we can control, our attitude and our effort. That's it. Everything else in life is outside of us, our attitude and our effort. If I can control those things, life's going to be a whole lot, the grass is going to look a whole lot greener on my side, isn't it? And the point that I'm making is this, is our attitude towards Jesus must align, must align with his will in every decision, large and small, even in our thoughts. Your thoughts matter today. I do not believe we make major decisions in one moment. Our decisions happen over a long time of small decisions that create the character in us to make the big decision. Amen? Verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that he wrapped around him. So I just wanted to bring up, I looked at the time, it's still 1054. I haven't preached in two weeks. So, just get comfortable. <laughs> well, I've been preaching to Macy. So, uh, and she looks so cold up here. Anyone have a jacket they want to give her? Um, Jesus knew the power that God had given him. We see it right here. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. So I was asking Muscles McGee over here, 19-year-old Chase, earlier in the week. I'm like, what do you do with all those muscles? He's like, what do you mean? Look at this. Bam. Pow. Huh. I'll probably flex out because I'm getting so old. Pass out. What do you do with your muscles? What do you do with your power? What do you do with your money? See, see God gave Jesus all power, all muscles, all money, all authority, everything. And what did he choose to do with his power? He decided to wash people's feet. What would you do with your power? And actually this, what do you, what do, you do with the authority that God's already given you? Most people aren't washing other people's feet. And you're like, that's disgusting. It is disgusting. See, Jesus served with his power. But not only did he serve with his power, but why could he serve with his power? Why could he humble himself? Jesus could humble himself because he knew who he was and he knew where he was going. His confidence wasn't in man's acceptance. 
rather in his position with God. Do you know where you're going today? And do you know who you are? Recently, I was able to tell a group of people who um, I was just sharing some stories about Jesus with. I said, look, when I leave here, y'all can make fun of me. You can laugh at me. You can point fingers at me. And I'm going to walk out of here and I'm going to be okay. Why? Because I know who I am and I know where I'm going. So that means in a crowd of people, um, they're going to be missing out if they don't hear your story. And I can walk out of there being okay. Jesus was able to serve because he knew who he was and where he was going. So what does he do? He begins to wash people's feet. That's how he uses his power. Interesting thing to me about washing feet is this. Is people, thank you, Mary Hope. <laughs> Stu's the water person, Mary Hope's the jacket person. <laughs> so the interesting thing about washing people's feet is this. is like, nowadays, it's just like wash your own feet. It's not customary to go to Stu's house and you take off your shoes and take off your socks and then start washing people's feet. Why? Because you wear your shoes, you take off your shoes, and your socks, unless you're under 15, should be clean. And you who are under 15, do we need to have a daily living skills class right now, especially if you're a male? After, we're going to offer that next semester. We're going to have a community group for offering daily living skills for 15-year-olds and younger. Animals, horses, goats, walking through, pooping, making it disgusting, right? You'd have sand, you'd have dirt. So it was customary when you would go to someone's house, you have follicles all over your feet that it was just appropriate to say, we're going to wash our feet before we enter the house. It was, every house would do it. So um, typically, what would happen is washing someone's feet would be the most demeaning job of someone. It wasn't like something that anyone ever loved. So because it was a job that wasn't loved, it would usually go to the slave of the house, the worker, paid person. Hey, this is what we're paying you to do, so when our guests get here, you're going to wash people's feet. So... Um, no one wanted to smell that, that literal crap at um, dinner, did they? No one wanted to. So, um, yeah, they do it. Um, though, during the Last Supper meal, that's where we're at right now, right? In John 13. Though during the Last Supper meal, this thing wasn't necessarily planned. It wasn't on the calendar for Jesus' disciples. It wasn't hey, let's make sure we have all the preparations ready. Let's have the basin and the water ready. Let's have um, the servant here to clean feet. It was almost like a very sp spontaneous thing for them. So they're having this meal. So since we didn't plan it out and there's no one here that we prepared to wash feet, who's going to wash the feet? Shouldn't it be the disciples? Would it be the disciples? Why would Jesus, with all this power, why would he serve? Well, we know who it wasn't. 
And it was actually not Jesus' disciples. Jesus' disciples um, were not going to do it for two reasons. The first reason was this, is um, rabbinic law suggested that disciples should do many things, but when it came to washing people's feet, they were allowed to draw the line. So they could do many things for the rabbis, they could do many things for people, but they could make up their own decision about whether they wanted to wash people's feet or not. That actually sounds hypocritical to me, but that was within their law. So we knew that the disciples wouldn't do it or had a way out for that reason. But the second reason is what's more convicting, is the book of Luke reminds us of an argument that the disciples were having in this moment. And um, petty argument, silly argument, but Luke chapter 22. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to the man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. Who's going to betray Jesus? A dispute also arose among them as which of them was considered to be the greatest. So the disciples are here in this moment after hearing that someone's going to betray Jesus, they're arguing about who's the greatest. Well, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest. Well, this is what I've done, and this is what I've done. Do you think those who are arguing about who is the greatest is going to humble themselves and wash people's feet? Not a chance. So, <laughs> so when I have arguments about revealing to my parents that I'm the favorite, do you think I'm going to be washing my uh, siblings' feet? No. I'm going to make Sammy do it. And you better believe he's going to be late anyways. So, or not answer his phone. So, so the disciples are arguing about who the greatest is. Their heart is not in it to be washing people's feet because they don't think that they are the slave to be doing it. And here's what I want to say. When it comes to the kingdom of God, there's nothing that is too great for you to do. You are above nothing in the kingdom of Christ to serve others. Amen? So the disciples were in no place to be considering washing people's feet. Don't you think we often do that? We often jockey for position rather than humble ourselves. And this really shows how fallen civilization is. Jesus is getting ready to die on the cross for you and I. And the disciples decided that it's time to argue about who the greatest is. How would you respond to them if you were their teacher? If you were their teacher, how would you respond to them? What are you arguing about? I'm trying to bring you in here for a last supper, for a meal to tell you about how to live for the rest of time. And you're over here griping and complaining about who the greatest is. And what does Scripture actually tell us about the greatest? Those who want to be first will be last, but those who are last will be first. The first 
Um, yeah, so, but with all that in mind, with all of his power, Jesus decided to humble himself and teach the disciples two lessons during this time. The first lesson he teaches is this, is we must allow Jesus to wash us. We must allow Jesus to wash us. See, there's, there's a belief out there within the world that I don't need anything from Jesus. I'm a good person. I have fun with my friends. I'm nice to my friends. I haven't broken any major laws. Well, if you break one law, Scripture says you might as well broke them all. If you've lied, lied once, you might as well have broken all the laws. If you've sped once, you might as well have broken all the laws. So what the world tries to do is find its righteousness in itself. I only go 59. I'm generally nice. I'm not in prison, so I'm, I'm good. I don't need Jesus to wash me. It's not the case, though. We must allow Jesus to wash us. Verse 6. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, You do not realize what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you will have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Um, their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he who was, uh, was going to betray, for he, sorry, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. Unless I wash you, you will have no part with me. We can't just think about Jesus. We can't just think that we're a good person. Jesus must wash and cleanse all of us. So Jesus was not speaking to Peter about his daily living skills. He wasn't talking about physically washing Peter and giving him a bath. He was metaphorically talking to Peter about the spiritual significance of being washed by Jesus. It was a symbol of Jesus dying on the cross. This was Jesus sharing a picture of his death on the cross for our sins. Unless he washed us, we will have no part of heaven. Unless he washes you, you have no part of heaven. Just as Jesus laid aside his clothing to wash the feet of his disciples, he also laid aside his power, his position, and his life to die on the cross for you and I. What Jesus is saying here is, without Jesus serving us and washing us, we will have no future with him. We have no hope to be clean, and with no hope to be clean, you go to hell. But Peter tries to rebuke Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Good old Peter. Don't, 
you know, I'm not going to let you wash my feet. I'm not going to let you do that. See, to me, <clears throat> that's a false humility. Um, he was mistaken. See, if Peter, <clears throat> if Peter got his over-religious way, he wouldn't belong to God. Peter was saying, hey, don't wash my feet. Don't do it. I don't want you to do that because I can't allow you, Jesus, to do anything for me. I think we've all been over-religious in that way in some manner. Anyone ever been over-religious? False humility, right? Humility allows others to help you. If you've never accepted help from someone, you are not walking in humility. If you have a hard time accepting help from someone, you are not walking in humility. If you take advantage of everyone who offers help, you're an opportunist. There's a fine line, isn't there? A humble person accepts help from others. Jesus is saying, hey, I need you to be humble to allow me to wash your feet. Peter didn't realize that he needed help in that immediate moment. We must allow Jesus to wash us to receive complete reconciliation to God. We need to humble ourselves and recognize we need cleaned. Does anyone in here recognize that they need their feet cleaned today? I need my feet cleaned today. And this washing makes us fully clean according to verse 10. Jesus answered, those who have a bath only need to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. See, what's unique about this is he brings up washing our feet because Peter already really accepted Jesus. Peter was already being obedient to Jesus. So there was almost this, uh, what, what Jesus is pointing to is, look, if you're already washed by the blood of Jesus, you're saved. You're good. But there's still the sanctification and cleaning process that's going to have to take place. So you're still, still going to get dirty. Your feet are still going to get dirty. So there's going to need to be things that, um, that you keep up with. We are to allow Jesus to wash our feet from the effect of sin. Believers in Christ have been fully removed from the penalty of sin. Been washed. Yet, we still need to be delivered from the power of sin in our life. And that's where we wash our feet. God will convict us of our sin. And we must submit to him when he wants to change us from the inside out. Another point is this, is we must allow him to refresh us from the dirtiness of life. As we spend time with Jesus, he will refresh us to continually go back into the challenging places of life. Don't we need refreshment? Isn't that why we need Jesus to wash our feet? Because we need refreshed. That's why Macy needs to swim with the dolphins. That's why Joey needs to put my feet in the water because I can't swim. Just, just be refreshed. See, as we spend time with Jesus, he will refresh us in those challenging places. 
So we pray, we worship, we fast, we fellowship, we, we read his word, and we obey it. And while we, we do that, he removes the dirtiness of life. He removes the effect of some of the challenges. And he cleanses us. And he keeps us going. The only thing that keeps me going in this life is Christ. If I wanted to be cliche or if I wanted to be Hollywood, I could say the only thing that keeps me going in this life is my babe who swims with dolphins. You should see that girl. It's not. The only thing that keeps me going in this life is Christ. The only thing that gives me hope in this life is Christ and that cleansing power that he brings. The second point as we are close to wrapping up, my dad always asks me, what does that mean to you? <laughs> hey, we're, 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 we're close. What's that mean? I guess we're still in Dayton, but we're close. <laughs> so look, church family, we're close. The second point that Jesus was making when he's talking to his disciples is this, is we are to not only receive the washing of Jesus, but we are also to wash other people's feet. Verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on the clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I am your Lord and teacher, have you washed your feet? Sorry, have washed your feet. You also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. So someone's washed my feet before and um, nothing powerful happened from it. Um, I'm not even sure that it was humility from that person because sometimes we can get so caught up in these religious acts that we think that we're serving God when in reality we're just serving ourselves or wasting time, right? I'm not saying washing people's feet is a bad thing. But the reason why Jesus washed people's feet is because that was relevant to the culture that day. That was the daily life of how could I show humility today? How can I humble myself today? So how can you humble yourself today? Someone, people really, look, today if you need... Um, your feet washed or something with your foot, you just go to a foot doctor, right? They're going to wash your feet. They're going to get you straight. What are they called, podiatrists? Yes, I've learned something. <laughs> so you go to a podiatrist and they're going to wash your feet for you real well. Or you go to the um, Walmart and they're going to hook you up for like $17.50. They're going to do your feet real well. They might even have some goldfish and they're eating on your toes. Anyone ever been to one of them? I don't know what they're called. What are they called? Nail ladies. Pedicures. Pedicurists. If you go to one of the pedicurists, they're going to clean your feet up. So that's not how we wash other people's feet today, is it? See, maybe washing someone else's feet today would be recognizing that they're overwhelmed and you ask if you can help. 
and you sacrifice, you sacrifice your time and your money and your preferences for that person. Amen? Jesus commands us to wash other people's feet. He wasn't, um, this wasn't something that he was saying that we must do religiously. But he was saying that it is a lifestyle that we should live. A lifestyle of servitude. A lifestyle that is not about you, but about him and others. He wasn't saying that, again, we are to religiously wash people's feet. He was saying that if you love people, you will lay down your life and take a low position. Now, how can we do that? Because most of the time we live, we live like this. If you rub my back, I'll rub yours. Don't you try that earlier on in marriage? Or maybe even still now in marriage. Or maybe like in the honeymoon stage, you're just like, I got you, I'll rub your back. Jesus isn't saying, I'll do this for you and you do this for me. Jesus was saying, I'm giving this to you freely and I'm humbling myself for you. Jesus is not washing others, other people's feet so that he will get his washed. He washes um, our feet because we couldn't do it without him. He humbled himself and wasn't concerned with their opinion. He didn't care about their opinion of him. He cared about loving the Father, which allowed him to freely serve. So if we want to love God, we are to serve others. Amen? To, to lay down our life. Maybe you don't get a Starbucks drink this week. Maybe you don't get a Simple Comforts coffee this week. Maybe you don't get a scoop of ice cream this week. Maybe you miss your favorite show this week. Maybe you get back to your house really late this week. Maybe you have to get up really early this week. Maybe you don't get whatever you're thinking of. And what Jesus is saying is it's better to give than it is to receive. It's better to lay down your life for others. We must be people of humility to not always be receiving. See, Jesus was connected to God, and we must connect to the Father and serve him as well. If you have a serving problem, what I would say is this, is you probably have an intimacy problem with God. If you're serving, there's a good chance you have intimacy with God. If you're not serving, you probably don't have any intimacy. All right, we're beginning to wrap up. Verse 16 very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Isn't that crazy? There's a blessing in laying down our life for other people. We often over-spiritualize -spiritual humility and talk about how pitiful we are. Again, I've shared this before. I'll share it again. People started to ask me, and I was, I was decent at track, right? But people asked me, they said, hey, I heard that you were good at track. And I said, I wasn't good at track. They're like, what do you mean you weren't good at track? Like, 
you did this, 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 you did this. And I'm like, no, I wasn't good at track. You know what that was? False humility. So I kept on lying to people because I wanted to be humble and lie about things that God has created me to do. So then finally God convicted me once, and he's like, just tell people what I made you do. Okay, fine. So they, um, I was sitting somewhere once, and someone said, hey, I heard that you were good at track. And I said, I was blessed to be successful in these areas. Yes, I was good at track. See, false humility starts to lie and fib and make, like, make you into a pitiful person. Like, woe is me. No, we're not saying you need to walk around with sackcloth and like you're sick all the time. That's not humility. That's false humility. We often over-spiritualize things about how pitiful we are. In, in reality, it's just a front. We're just lying. But I think Jesus would love for us to desire to be great. You hear that? I think that Jesus would love for us to desire to be great. And um, that just made some people uncomfortable, didn't it? You're like, uh-oh, here comes the prosperity. Pastor's telling me that he wants, God wants us to be great. Well, that's because the world tells us what greatness is. What does the world think greatness is? See, the world thinks that greatness is talent, money, sex appeal, fame, and power. That's what the world tells us what greatness is. So when the pastor's up here saying, God wants you to be great, your mind goes to money, success, sex appeal, talent, right? Why would my pastor tell me those things? I'm not. Your idea of greatness has been, or my idea of greatness has been so conditioned by the world to think of what it is. God wants you to be great. Great isn't those things. What great is, what good is, is the direction of God. And it's not what the world says it is. What it is is this, is loving like he does. is humbling ourselves to put the needs of others first. To love God and to love others, that is greatness. Amen? Now, does it make us great when we do it? No, we're still pitiful. Greatness is humbling ourselves to lay down our lives Acts 20, 35 says this, and everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Help the weak. Help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. We must help the weak. That's greatness. That's humility. Philippians 2, 5 and 8. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very, who being in very nature God, did not consider um, equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient 
to death, even death on the cross. So Jesus, being equal to God, with all the power in the world, what did he do? He humbled himself to serve you and I. Amen? So we must not only be washed by Jesus, but after we've been washed by Jesus, we are to humble ourselves and wash other people's feet. So how do we start humility today? Small decisions, one at a time. Small decisions, one at a time. Because your small decision today develops the character of your future, yes or no. We start with humility. We start with taking it day by day. So I want us all to close our eyes for a moment. GPS still says we're about 15 minutes out. I'm kidding. Close your eyes for a moment. Father, um, we need humility. We need to be washed by you. We fall short, and there's even just conviction within some of our hearts today about what it means to follow you what it means to be washed by you, what it means to have hope for eternity with you, to have this hope about life even when um, life is hard. Father, but it starts with the humility to allow our feet to be washed by you. Father, in all of our shortcomings, we need our feet washed. So um, with eyes closed, I just want people to raise their hands who, who need their feet washed today by Jesus. You just recognize things are not going the way you need them to. You need your feet washed. My hand's raised. I'm going to pray for you guys real quick. Father, today we recognize that life has been tough and hard and there's been a slow fade of decisions. I pray that... Um, you would wash our feet today, that you would cleanse us, that you would help us live with hope and happiness and peace and confidence in who you've created us to be, that we're not um, overanalyzing our looks and what people think of us. Father, just wash us afresh today. And the next group of people, maybe probably even the same group, is just um, those people who um, want to wash other people's feet. And they just need some help with the boldness. If that's you, just raise your hand. Out of humility, right? God, I need to serve other people more often. Out of humility, raise those hands. All right, Father... Thank you for just the humility of people saying, I need to serve people. I need to help people. I need to love people. I need not be so selfishly minded. I need to step out of my comfort zone. Ask that your will would be done and that you would give us wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen.